The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. It's The Golf Show with Brian Katrick. He's been the talk of the course today with his huge drives. And Ali Dean. I really am rugged with him. It's early Sunday morning. The sun is coming up. I'm on the tee at 7. I'm here to try my luck. They say this game's a tough one, but I'll give it my best shot. Though the bunkers look like beaches and the greens like parking lots. Oh, Lord. Big match coming up. I'm going to be Dean Caddy. What am I going to do? Why don't you try him a little left? Why don't you try backing up, giving me just a little room? Help me keep my head down. Save me from those double bogey blues. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You don't deserve any credit hitting the ball with that swing of yours. Try to hit one with my swing. I'm catching on the ball, right? Moving my head. No, I'm laying it off. Well, that's too I'm proning. When you're not shooting me, I'm clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My God, my swing feels like a unfolding lawn chair. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. Save me from the double bogey blue. Gunga, galunga. And a happy Sunday morning to you. It's the golf show on the fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. Ali Dean, Derek Thomas, back in the studios at the Battery Atlanta. I'm Brian Katrick. I am staring at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Uh, down here in St. Augustine, Florida. Good morning, Oliver. How are you, sir? I am well. It's good to be back. Thanks for covering for me last week. Oh, it was, uh, it was my pleasure. I, I was glad to see that there was no real news that broke on anything while I was out. No big deal. <laughs> Slow news week. You know what we did? We just talked about agronomy, and I went over scoring averages. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's what we did there last week on the show. Lots of scoring averages from uh, alphabetically, you know. And I got all the way to the uh, got all the way to the, the to the W's. Uh, speaking of the W's, I'm I'm I am staring at the Hall of Fame. And I have a little bit of question. So I, this this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, next week is the Players' Championship, and the Hall of Fame induction ceremony is going to go on. And since Tiger's in the news for our other thing, uh, Tiger's going in this class. Susie, uh, Susie Maxwell-Burning, who's, uh, who's an LPGA major winner. Marion Hollins, who helped develop all the land at Pasa Tiempo and Pebble Beach and Cypress Point, and she was a good player in her own right. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Bobby Jones hired Alistair McKenzie to design Augusta Nationals because Marion Hollins hired him to design Pasa Tiempo. And Cypress Point. Well, yeah, exactly. So um, so she's going in, and then Tim Fincham is going in, but so is Tiger. And I heard, I heard that they're going to do it in St. Augustine. All right, well, there's plenty of places they could do it in St. Augustine, but you've got to imagine it would be somewhere right here. I'm at the Hall of Fame. They used to do it in this little patch of grass in between our building and the Hall of Fame building. 
and it was a beautiful outdoor setting. Well, Wednesday has got a, a bunch of rain in the forecast, and but but they've got a bunch of lights set up here as if they're going to put it out here. So I, are they really going to roll the dice and do this outside? Is that is that a COVID thing? I mean, it's, it's going to rain. So I, I don't really know, but I could be staring at the spot. They're going to put Tiger Woods in the Hall of Fame here, but I can't imagine they're going to do it there. you got to go indoors, don't you? I would think so. At least have a contingency plan to go indoors. Is there a convention center there? Well, the hotel has something. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be plan B. If it rains on Tiger's Parade, they'll move it to uh, the the Terror, the whatever, PGA Tour Fincham Room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a Renaissance hotel. I mean, it's got a nice ballroom, but it's not it's not the type of place you would see the Emmys. You know, it's not. You, you would ex- expect that of all years, this would be one they would have a bigger presentation and and would have room. You could sell seats. I don't know if they've ever sold seats, but this would be a year you could sell tickets if you wanted to. I mean, you could put this thing wherever you want to, and you're gonna you're gonna sell a bunch. But uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we'll find out on Wednesday. Well, congratulations to all of the inductees. And and it is interesting with the Golf Hall of Fame is that you still have players being inducted that can possibly still win on tour. Yeah, well, that's a, that's one of the problems with with this sport, right? What when Phil Phil just won <laughs> Phil also in the news. Phil just won a major at 51. You know, what or was he 50 or 51? Whatever he was, what what age you know, the next age that you would pick would have been 50. They used to have 50 as the minimum age for the Hall of Fame. Uh, now it's 45. I just don't know. You know, you're going to wait till 60. You don't want somebody to die before they get in. But, I mean, Tom Watson almost won. The, he went to the playoff at the British Open with Stuart Sink. He was 59. Wasn't he 59? Pretty sure he was 59. Yeah, too old. And Phil was yeah. inducted in 2008, I believe. Yeah, so Phil went in back. Or no, 2012. You know, yeah, they they lowered the age to 45 as long as you had the criteria. So it's just weird in our sport is that you do have guys every once in a while they're going to get put in that could go win after they've been put in. Phil won a major after he was put in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Pretty sure VJ won after he was put in the Hall of Fame. Langer won't stop winning. So... Uh, Davis Love III has won since he's been put in the Hall of Fame. So that that's what's going on here. The uh, the, the Tiger Phil story. All right, so let's catch everybody up. All right. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about this like four weeks ago. Phil Mickelson won the PGA Tours PIP program. Well, with that, he he had pronounced that back yeah, on it, December. It was on Twitter, December. so it had to be true. Yes, yes. December 29th. Phil Mickelson put a tweet out thanking everybody, all of his fans and all of his supporters, for declaring him the winner of the tour's PIP program. It's a player incentive program. Well, incentive is not the word. Player, player impact player, program. Player impact program. So if you missed this, you're not alone, and you don't don't feel bad because this, this is not something that you needed to follow the tour this year in order to reward the superstars. This is all based on the premise that the tour's superstars don't make the same type of money that other sports' superstars do. Steph Curry, I believe, is the number one player, the highest paid player in the NBA. He's got a guaranteed contract. He makes 40 or 50 million a season. 
Nobody on the PGA Tour has any guaranteed contracts. They could make zero a season, but your top guy isn't going to make 40-ish. Your top guy is going to make 15 if he wins the FedEx Cup. Pay that man his money. So, you know, this sports, and the money is there. The ratings are there. So, the you know, they, they should... They should get it, and they, they so they, they created this program, the Player Impact Program. It measures everything other than golf course performance, because they get paid on golf course performance for everything else, right, Ollie? This this measure. There's five other ways of measuring. We don't have to go into them. Yeah, I mean, but briefly, it, it's, to measure everything it's else. media impact. How many media impressions you have? Your social media impact. It's measured by different, you know, metrics, and they decide who had the biggest impact off the course. This isn't. To your point, it is an off-the-course program. Yeah, because we're paying people every week for how they play. Well, we're not, but this they one, are. They, we, 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 us, us, grand, the folks that are grand part of this fabric of the game, <laughs> we, we are paying them, not luckily out of our own pockets. <laughs> yeah, luckily we're the frayed end of that fabric. Yes, which is a good spot to be most of the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this was I don't a, think we, pro- we should. It's shame on us. We should have congratulated Phil Moore back in December. Phil congratulated himself on December 29th. How do I remember that date? Uh, been doing the show for 25 years, but that's not why. Uh, this is, actually goes the other way at this point. Uh, December 29th is the day before Tiger's birthday. When Tiger, off the golf course, was going to get a lot of internet chatter there was going to be a lot of social media buzz on tiger on his birthday uh, the different media outlets were all going to put out little happy birthday packages and you know a shot from tiger's career and everybody's going to congratulate him there was going to be a little pop for tiger on december 30th because that's his birthday then on december 31st something else happens every year the year ends so the contest was going to be closed pretty good day to have a birthday yeah, not bad if you're one of the, the greatest golfers that ever walked the earth. <laughs> the day before the contest ends, so Tiger's kind of sitting there holding the trump card. It's like getting to be the home team. You get to bat last. You remember back when they played baseball? Remember that? Nah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Phil, the day before, puts this tweet out. Now, he may have legitimately thought he won this. I don't know if somebody told him that he won this or if this was just a play by him to try to thwart what was clearly going to be a next day Tiger Woods rush of social media stuff. I don't know what are you, Tiger's... Are you suggesting that Phil Mickelson is calculating enough that he would try and defuse <laughs> the final push from Tiger Woods' birthday by hoping I... that he would get enough media drive and congratulations on social media that, that he would somehow thwart Tiger Woods' birthday? Is that what you're alluding to, my friend? I... I believe that is, that's what folks, <laughs> that is that is the theory right there. Well, well it worked because he won. He congratulated himself. <laughs> and there's a reason that you keep saying he congratulated himself, because apparently he didn't win. Yeah. And so you and I have been talking about this on the program the whole time because they never re- released the results. Part of this program was they told us they weren't going to release the results. So we were saying at the time, we may never know what's going to happen with this. And then the commissioner comes out and says, Commissioner Monahan comes out and says, no, we are, we are not going to release the results. But he said, we are going to give them to the players. So feel like it's, the results are probably going to come out. 
So then, then the rest of us get to sit back and go, all right, well, we're probably going to find out. Well, January goes by, and the results don't come out. Uh, a pretty disastrous February goes by for Phil, and this is one of the things we reflected on last week while you were gone, was since Phil sent that tweet, things have gone downhill for Phil. Yeah. And these results never... Precipitous drop. Yes, and they never came out. Finally, the results come out. I don't believe they continued the results. They just finally tabulated them and released them. And lo and behold, Tiger beats Phil. (laughs) The best part is 99% of the world finds out about this because the tour did not release these results. They released them in an email, I guess, to the players. I don't know how the players found out. They, you know, they probably. Get, I didn't get this email. The tour didn't tweet it. None of the tour's channels where they put out information, which I'm a part of, had this. But the players got it, and Tiger's one of the players. Ninety-nine percent of the world found out because Tiger then quote tweets Phil's tweet from December 29th, where Phil thanked everybody for their support and declared himself the winner. Tiger tweets one word. Whoops. Ah. <laughs> and the emojis were great. The little shrug emojis that went with the whoops word. Um, yes. I, I am not a fan of Twitter, but I have to say I enjoyed that tweet. Yes. Well, of course, now, you know, the controversy is did the Phil, did the tour release this on purpose to kind of pile on Phil? Well, right. I mean, they, they, the thing is, that's a fine question, except the tour didn't release this. Yeah. The tour did exactly what they said they were going to do, which is they emailed it to the players. Jay Monahan said, if I email it to the players, it's going to get out. Every, every writer that covers the tour has some player that they've snuggled up to to, do, to intercept stuff exactly like this. There are lots of players themselves that aren't going to go to the writers. They're just going to go straight to social media with it. And there are plenty of players that are actually in the media. I just saw Parker McLaughlin, excuse me, I just saw Will McKenzie walk by. Uh, he got that email. He's working with us here this week on PGA Tour Live. Colt Nost works for CBS. He's got a radio show on PGA Tour Radio. He got the email. So they didn't release the stuff. They didn't have to. It gets out there. And uh, But, yeah, if you want to look at it that way, <laughs> sure was a bad last month for Phil. But theoretically, all this stuff closed on December 31st, I yeah. guess. I don't know. It's not public. I don't even really care. Well, unfortunately for Phil, there are 31 days in December. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, December 31st was the, was the close of it. Which What I'm saying is that all of those comments, Phil's bad last month, shouldn't have had anything to do with this. No, but... I wouldn't begrudge the tour um, releasing that information to the players, knowing that it was going to get to the media to kind of give a little nod to Phil. So which would look worse, in your opinion, with your, with your great history in uh, in all of this public relations field? Tiger wins without hitting one golf shot on the PGA Tour. Or Phil wins a contest that ended in December. He was the most popular guy on tour on December 31st. But the results come out on like March 3rd when he's the least popular guy on tour. Which one's worse? Um, 
it would be worse for the tour. I'm going to look at it from a couple different perspectives. It would be worse okay. for the tour if they had to release this information and, you know, Phil was going to get $8 million from a tour that he tried to, you know, arguably create a coup against. That would be very yes. bad for the tour. Uh, really good for Phil. Um, that would have been at least some positive news for Phil. Um, but for Phil, obviously, it's worse news that, that not only did he not win, but that he was the one self-promoting and claiming his win on December 29th, when everybody knew that the contest wasn't going to end until the end of the year. So right. we all we talked about it then. It's a little premature. It was a clever move by Phil then. Yeah. Was this a clever move by the tour? Or, or did you want to get the results? By the way, if know. you had the results... It's not a clever move at all. Um, you know, the problem with Phil is he tries to be clever too much, and everything backfires on him. Yeah, this definitely... I thought it was a clever move... But it clearly backfired. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> ready to lose. Yeah. Well, look, I know we have a lot of Phil Mickelson fans that are listening to this radio. I'm going to give my take from my background on how Phil can save himself. Okay. And this is easy. He can save himself literally in a day. And all he has to do is send out an email. He doesn't need to apologize to the tour, which he seems very, very against. But just send out a nice little release that says... You know, he's going to play on the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is where he built his legacy. Um, he hopes to continue to be a partner to help it grow. He knows he's got some fences to mend to do that. But he is with the tour moving forward, and all this goes away. And Rory McIlroy opened the door for him to do that with his press conference at Bay Hill saying, you know, we want Phil back. We all make mistakes. I mean, it would be good for the tour to have Phil back in the fold, but that's all Phil has to do. Everything will move on. He'll get his Callaway deal reinstated. Life will move forward. My question is, is Phil going to do that? Right. I agree with your first premise. That would absolutely make everything better. I don't think he's going to do that. Phil has very clearly chosen his side here. That's why the apology was what it was. The, he apologized in case you missed it. Ollie and I are talking deep down in the game here. Phil was involved by his own admission in the organization of a rival tour. He helped write documents that would form how the tour would go. He told that most likely, almost assuredly, off the record to a writer who doesn't take anything off the record because he's a snake. But but Phil did say it. There's nobody arguing that Phil said it. Just a matter of should that guy had written it. Uh, so Phil, by his own admission, was organizing a rival tour. He apologized to the folks that are helping him organize that rival tour. He didn't apologize to the PJ Tour. He's made his choice. He's over there. And uh, you're right. He could easily make the other choice and come back. That's not what he wants to do right now. He's made that pretty clear to us. Yes, um, and you don't need to read his uh, his apology. Um, all you really need to know is that he didn't mention the PGA Tour one time in it. I hope he wasn't planning on using that $8 million to pay for those legal fees to create the operating agreement for the Saudi Golf League. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's six. He got, I think Tiger got eight for first. It was six for second. All this PIP talk, and it's for a difference of $2 million. When he got six... Uh, I, I don't, I don't have any sympathy, uh, at all for finishing second rather than first. Uh, we talked last week about the rumors of discipline against Phil Mickelson. Uh, is the tour within their rights to discipline him? We'll, we're never going to find out if they did discipline him. 
but if you do try to recruit players, if you're actively working to subvert one organization on behalf of another organization, does the first organization have the right to kick you off of, you know, kick you out of their organization, or discipline you? Well, of course they do. Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. You, you and I are motorsports <laughs> fans. One of my favorite Bill France story is when the drivers at Talladega decided that they wanted to have a walkout because they didn't like the track. They thought it was too fast, and Bill just brought in a bunch of modified racers and held the race anyway. So he kicked them off property, sent them home, wasn't going to pay them anymore, whatever their demands were. Yeah, so you can, you can certainly do that if you're, a, if you're the commissioner of a league. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Phil, there are rumors that he's been disciplined by the tour. I have no idea if he has. I don't know if we're ever going to find out if he has been or not, but it makes sense. Uh, Greg Norman challenged the tour's right to kick players off the tour. Don't know if that's what happened to Phil. But it also seems like in this case, the tour would be able to kick players off the tour. Uh, don't know if that's exactly what Greg was talking about. That's something that's that's way down the line in the discussion here. But could could Phil be disciplined? Yes. And could part of that discipline be you don't get the money for winning our popularity contest <laughs> or finishing second in our popularity contest? Uh, I, I could see that. But I, at that point, maybe you put yourself in line for a lawsuit. Just give them the $6 million and let them get to stepping. Yeah, I don't know what any of us really have any idea what Greg Norman's thinking. Certainly his incoherent letter to Jay Monahan didn't really lend any sort of concrete evidence of where his mind's at. That was that was an interesting ill thought out letter in my opinion. Yeah. So Tiger clips Phil again. Without hitting a shot. Well, yeah, so, so you think about why, or just just real quick, because Brian Nelson from the GSGA is joining us here in just a second uh, after we get back from this break. Why did Tiger win, or why would Tiger have won? Because people are saying, well, it was fixed. Uh, you think about this. This is off-course measurement. All right, Phil had, Phil had a much better year on the course. He won a major. But we're measuring everything else off the course. Well, in February of last year, Tiger had a car wreck. He led every newscast for a week he continued to lead on SportsCenter. He continued to lead on, on all the golf shows for another month or so. You know, he was, he was a big deal. He had a bigger two- or three-week period because of the car wreck, not bigger in a, in a good way, but bigger in a media presence way. He had a bigger stretch because of the car wreck than Phil's stretch was because of anything he did on the course. Then, of course, you have the, the, the PNC championship, the father-son with Tiger, which with Charlie. That got better ratings than the British Open. So the two rounds of golf he did play, plus the practice round, got better ratings than one of the four majors. Before, so, we, Tiger, before we go yeah, to we break, did. how much money does he owe Charlie? <laughs> so you think Charlie gets a commission of the $8 million? At least the two. Yeah. Uh, they broke it all down. You know, there's a breakdown of all the metrics. I think Charlie's agent <laughs> could have. Could you imagine if Charlie had an agent and he approaches Mark Steinberg saying, you know, I'd like to discuss my client. <laughs> we feel like we are owed 37% of this PIP money. <laughs> I mean, at least a percentage of the $2 million that he won, you know, finishing first as opposed to second. I, I think Charlie had to have a little push there at the end of the year. Yeah, we'd like, uh, we'd, here's our presentation. <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> the allowance negotiations at the Tiger Woods house. Could you imagine Steinberg now gets that proposal and he's got to figure out how am I going to tell Tiger that his son has hired an agent? 
Mm. <laughs> Charlie Woods is the only one that brings an, an agent to the allowance discussion table. <laughs> we're we're joking, by the way. We don't believe Charlie has hired an agent. <laughs> no. But, no. But it's a it's a Saturday Night Live skit if he did. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, handle his NIL deal. I mean, he's allowed to have that now. He can, yeah. But that, remember, the tournament happened in December, so he's wearing Puma shoes. He was wearing some some uh, some Nike clothes, but he was wearing some other hat. I don't know what, what the logo was on the hat. I think it may be from his school or something. Uh, because that was before the rules changed. Uh, if he plays in the in the PNC next year, expect Charlie Woods to be all. You know, fully kitted out by somebody. <laughs> uh, How'd you pay for your kid's college? Uh, well, he played in the PNC last year. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Nelson from the GSGA actually understands the rules of golf and amateur status. He also understands the rules of handicapping. He's going to tell us all about that next. It's the golf show on the fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. And now it's time for Who's Driving? Brought to you by Ray Judice. If you're facing DUI charges, you need a DUI lawyer who will step up to the T for you. Call Ray Cell at 404-964-4185 to schedule an appointment. All right. Driving, very important. And it was important overnight to Jin Young Ko, world number one on the LPGA Tour. She's the number one player in the women's game. Ollie, you were uh, you were excited by a couple of things from her win at the HSBC Women's World Championship. It ended in Singapore yesterday, last night. It was really Sunday already, but Saturday for us. What were your takeaways? Uh, I love when people set records, and Jin Young Ko set the LPGA record for most consecutive rounds in the '60s with 15, 15 consecutive rounds in the '60s, 30 consecutive yeah. subpar rounds. Pretty impressive stuff from the world number one. Really, really impressive. Plus, she shot, she shot 66 to do it. So that streak continues. The PGA Tour's longest streak of consecutive rounds in the 60s is 21. So she might be able to get to or past that because she ends with the trophy and a victory. And she is driving on with that streak intact. That's Who's Driving, brought to you by Ray Judice. Congratulations to Jin Young Ko. 66 on Sunday. She beats Inji Chun and Minji Lee. Uh, they're over there again. The uh, The spring Asian swing is underway on the LPGA Tour. Uh, the spring has hit Atlanta early, which is awful nice. Joining us right now from the Georgia State Golf Association. He is the best left-handed goalkeeper, the hockey goalkeeper, on this interview. And that pains me to say. It's Brian Nelson. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you now? How are you doing? <laughs> we, are, uh, we are excellent. So uh, we're warming up. We're ready to go. You, uh, you, handle, you handle the handicap system over there. Plus, you know a lot of the rules. Let's start at the top. People, I, I, I think there's a whole lot of folks, Brian, that are members of the Georgia State Golf Association that don't realize they're members of the Georgia State Golf Association. Uh, that's probably true, Brian. Uh, when you have a gin number through a club or through our website, um, you become a GSJ member. A lot of people you know, mainly just have that gin number to post scores and don't understand that uh, they are actually also a GSJ member. Well, with that being said, I mean, aren't they missing out on some great benefits by being a member of the GSJ and not knowing it? 
That's very true, Allie. Uh, we have a pretty aggressive perks program. We're always adding uh, vendors that, that are offering some pretty good discounts for a lot of different types of products. Uh, we have a travel links program uh, where golfers can you know, take trips and, and get discounts that way. Uh, also offer member play days where you have access to some pretty nice private clubs that you may not normally have an uh, opportunity to play. Of course, our competitions too. Uh, we have, uh, be- beginning with the GSJ Junior Tour, a-, a pretty strong schedule there. Men's, women's, senior men, senior women, uh, super seniors as well. There's all kinds of competition. I know Brian's uh, competed in a lot as well. Uh, I love it, but you don't have to love competition. You don't have to get in competition in order to become a GSGA member. All you need is a handicap. Talk about how you join the GSGA. Sure. Uh, there's over 350 uh, member clubs in the GSGA, so a, a golfer can go right to their club or a club that they play often and uh, join the GSA, GSGA that way and be issued a gym number if they have already have a gym number. Uh, they just need to give that gym number to the club, and uh, that way their score history is is retained, and they can pick up where they left off. Uh, if a golfer doesn't have a club he plays regularly, he can uh, he or she can always uh, join through our website www.gsj.org. There's a membership tab, and they can join or renew through there. And again, if they have a gym number, um, they really need to put that in there so that all their scores uh, are retained. There's a lot of great things about the game of golf. Um, as I sit here in the 680 studios and look at Truist Park across the street, I can't get a bunch of guys together and go play softball over there, but I can play some of the greatest venues um, in the game of golf. The other great thing about the game of golf is the parity that you can have with disparate talent levels. Um, and obviously having a handicap allows someone like Brian to play with someone like Derek and they can have an equal match on the golf course. Um, what are the other benefits to having a handicap? Well, uh, you hit that pretty well as far as being able to compete against uh, you know, golfers of, of different abilities. You can even play different tees, and the system will uh, basically start the handicap index, which is computed. If you have 20 scores in your, your record, it's going to take the lowest eight differentials. And a differential is generated after each round of golf is played. Uh, it takes into account the course rating, the slope rating, and the score that the golfer actually shot. So the lowest eight of those most recent 20 differentials is going to give you a handicap index. And then you convert it to a course handicap based on the tees being played, and then that's when you would figure out the difference in the strokes and, and you know, how many shots Derek might get from Brian. In a match. Now, you mentioned differential. For our listeners out there, that's the, the difference between what you shoot and what an imaginary scratch golfer would shoot. Is that oversimplifying what a differential is? Uh, not too much. There's a formula, which is uh, it takes 113, which is the average uh, slope rating of a golf course, and then it's divided by the slope rating and then multiplied by the adjusted growth score minus the course rating of those tees being played. <laughs> So that's going to create a differential. And, again, all this math is done behind the scenes. You don't have to have your advocates out or, or calculator to, to figure all this out. A couple weeks ago, our team from PGA Tour Entertainment went down the street to Gators, and we won trivia night. Uh, that's not important. We, uh, Brian, if we had you and they asked that question, could you imagine having Brian Nelson from the GSGA and they ask how is a handicap, how is a course handicap formulated? <laughs> 
Okay. Can you hit us with that again? The average course handicap. All right, don't. The average course <laughs> handicap is, is 113. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Slope rating. Slope rating. That's just an that's... arbitrary number that they use uh, as part of the formula. So wow. I, I think that, you know, we're, we're used to seeing tees being rated with, you know, higher slope ratings, but there's also uh, shorter tees as well that come into play that, that make that 113 the average. What do you think the slope rating at Bay Hill would be this week? Uh, they're, they're probably playing an unrated set of tees. Um, it could be in the one, 150s, I would think, something like that, maybe even yeah. higher. Post-cut, the scoring average yesterday was 74. So so it's two over par for the best players in the world. <laughs> that, that was the average. Um, right. Uh, real quick, uh, well, you don't have to go. You take, take your time if you'd like. Uh, the handicap system over the years, it had, had they just used an average, it would have been far more intuitive. would have also been a little problematic. But uh, people, people get a handicap. They don't, they don't quite understand. Well, you know, I'm not that good. Uh, talk about why the handicap system measures and rates the way that it does. It's really based on demonstrated ability. So it's, again, th- just taking a portion of, of those scores that are posted to a golfer's record as opposed to, um, you know, sport like bowling, which I guess, you know, which takes into account all the scores and, and does generate average um, the, under the world handicap system. It's just going to take a portion of those scores and, again, be based on that, the potential or really the demonstrated ability of a golfer um, in, um, in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, all right. So one of the changes to since 2019, there is, uh, excuse me, there always was a maximum score per hole, but uh, now they've kind of they've kind of reworked that. What do we need to know about that? Yeah, they sure have. So once you determine what your course handicap is from the set of tees you're playing that day, um, the maximum net, maximum score in a hole is net double bogey. So, for instance, if you're a 10 handicap, you're going to get shots on the, the stroke indexes number 1 through 10. And so on those holes, you could actually make a triple bogey, and then for posting purposes, that would become a net double bogey, and that would be the, the maximum score in a hole that you could post. Okay. Now, uh, did you get Brian, that, Ollie? Yes, I did. I, I get okay. this debate all the time on why, you know, sometimes par fives, um, are a higher handicap role hole than you know some you know, relatively short par fours. Um, I always tell them, and rightly or wrongly, that it's because you have more opportunities to hit a really bad shot as a high handicapper. Um, did I oversimplify that answer as well? Uh, you know, some of those holes basically um, it compares the ability of a higher handicap player versus a lower handicap player. And they may have an ability if they do hit a bad shot, it's a par five. So they do have a chance to recover. Um, so it may not be a, a hole that they need as much of a, a stroke on compared to a lower handicap player that they would on a, you know, for instance, a short par four that a, a low handicap player could, could hit it pretty close to the green. And um, you know, that, that higher handicap player is going to need that stroke there more so than on a par five where they do have a chance to recover. Brian Nelson, our guest from the GSGA, gsga.org. That may be the answer to the next question. How do you join the Georgia State Golf Association? Right there. You can you can go to our website. If there's not a course that you play regularly, uh, you can go to www.gsga.org 
and uh, join right through there through the membership tab. Uh, once you're active, you can download the MyGSG mobile app. There's a lot of good content on, on there uh, relating to Georgia Golf and the GSGA. You can sign up for events, uh, play days. Uh, we have a one-day series, which is uh, net events now that's that's being offered That's that became very popular last year. Um, you can also join through your club. If there's a local club you play regularly, you can join right through there as well. Now, Brian, go. before we let you go, all of our listeners want the answer to this question. How bad of a skater is Brian Katrick on the hockey ice? He's uh, He held his own. It's been oh. a few years, Brian. Oh. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Is, there any, is there any tape out there? But <laughs> oh, I want to see the tape. I want to see the tape. You know, there is tape of it, actually, because a lot of people don't know this. Brian Nelson does know this, but the last year that the Atlanta Knights were here... Uh, my friend Jeff Glover and I, uh, he was Bernie the Dragon, and I was Sir Hattrick. So there is plenty of videotape of me skating around uh, on the ice at the Omni, except I had a big old inflatable knight costume on, and nobody knew I was in there. <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> I got my own hockey card, nice. which is nice. a fact that I did not think was going to come up today. <laughs> But there it is. Uh, Brian Nelson, well done. We appreciate your time. GSGA.org. Look into membership. Hey, if nothing else, the Handicap has that cool app that Brian just told you about. It tabulates every day now. You don't have to wait till the end of the month. So around that you post today, you're going to see the results of it tomorrow, uh, which is something else that happened new from 2019. You don't have to compete against anybody else. If you're one of those people, you wear the thing on your wrist when you go to the gym, the Handicap app... You can play against yourself, and eventually, if you want to play against other people, you can too. And if you don't want to play against anybody, you don't have to. But you can do it quickly, and you can keep it to yourself, and you will get addicted to this game the same way we are. So so check it out. GSGA.org. Brian Nelson, great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate the time. Thanks. I appreciate it, too. Have a great day. Uh, you going to hit the golf course this afternoon? No. <laughs> well. <laughs> but thanks. There, hopefully everybody else is. I'm working. That's right. Give someone else a turn. All right. <laughs> Give someone else a turn. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. That's Brian right. Nelson from the Georgia State Golf Association. He's the director of membership and handicapping. I think what uh, we missed- learned from that, a fascinating thing. The thing that I learned is I certainly did not understand the handicap system as much as I thought I did. Oh, my goodness. It's a formula. That's it. That's the thing that upsets me when the tour players will say, oh, well, you know, it's a bunch of amateurs running the game at the USGA. It, did that sound like an amateur answer when he nope. broke down? <laughs> that, that sound like a guy that wasn't getting paid to know that? No. Nope. Wasn't, get, wasn't getting paid to figure that out? Does that nope. really sound like something he just made up? <laughs> no, nope. My head exploded. <laughs> right. And I know the handicap system pretty well. Yeah. You're at least okay I thought with I did. But, right. Wow. Not to that level. No, he's just muttering to himself, walking down the hallways like Rain Man. And the tour players don't want to read a rule book. So they're like, oh, we got a bunch of amateurs reading, running the game. I felt, like, is, I felt metaphorically like long division meeting calculus for the first time. A formula. Tour, yeah. A very that, simple <laughs> formula. <laughs> those are the guys that are running the game. And those are the guys we need running the game because, you know, when you show your handicap card, when you have to explain your number, you can't explain it. You need him to explain it, <laughs> and he will.
Yes, yes. <laughs> he will happily explain it. Uh, so we'll take a break. When we come back, the uh, the rest of the golf news from the PGA Tour, including you mentioned the carnage at Bay Hill, which is why I can't play golf. Brian Nelson, apparently the only guy that didn't know I was working today. Did I not tell you? <laughs> I'll tell you when we come back. But what happened at Bay Hill? Why are they Why are they playing so poorly? Why can't they score? Well, we had the answer. We actually hinted at it last week, and we have just seen it. We'll talk about it next. It's the Golf Show on the Fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. Before you hit the links, start your morning with the Golf Show. Now back to Brian Katrick and Ali Dean on Atlanta's Golf Station, the Fan. So we're excited for a final round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Taylor Gooch and Billy Horschel are leading. Victor Hovland, who had a two-shot lead to start the weekend, shot three, o- <laughs> shot three over, and he's, he's one shot back. He went 77-78 over the weekend last year when he started with the lead. So he's got to be sweating just a little bit. By the way, did you see the parts... Derek Thomas pulled the uh, the Norwegian commentary there. Did anybody see it yesterday when NBC played the, Nor- the Norwegian commentary of Hovland holding out for Eagle at six? Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yes. Derek, play it again. This is this is what it may as well. I'm sure they said, said some of the same things. Here it was. Norges første legiater seier er Victor Hovland. That is some enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) Derek says, that's actually the old one. Derek, you didn't have to tell us that. We we don't know. (laughs) That could have been from him on the driving range this morning. We don't know what they're saying. (laughs) Good of you to be honest and tell us that's the old one. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of that going on in the back nine yesterday as he uh, shot four over on the back. Stumbling home in a very tough golf course. Yeah. So why is it so tough? Well, the superintendent told John and I on on PGA Tour Radio last week that this is the first time they've ever done this here. Uh, They overseeded the rough, but they didn't overseed the fairways and the greens. So what? what, Why is that? Well, Orlando is in a spot where they put the cool season grasses in the rough. And they just counted on it being warm enough for the warm season grasses to be doing some growing in the fairways and the greens. Well, the cool season grasses need water. You got to water the daylights out of that rye to get it to grow. So you've got long, soft, lush, rough off the playing surface. And you've got rock hard, almost cement hard, very thin fairways and greens in the middle. Imagine trying to land your tee shot on a bowling alley. That's what they've got. It's basically a U.S. Open, Ollie, and they figured it out. They changed the sprinkler system to hopefully get this result. They absolutely got it. I can't imagine a year where they would ever do it differently. This is what it's going to be like down there. Now, there is risk, though. If they did not get the warm spring, then they'd probably be out there painting fairways. Yes. He told us, he said, we also we had pigment. Because I said, you got any paint back in the shed in case it didn't get warm? He said, we have pigment. I think I offended him. But then he goes, 
We also had paint. <laughs> so there's pigment and paint, apparently, if they needed to paint the fairways green. But, but it got warm enough, and the Bermuda popped a little bit, and then the rough is still crazy, so that's what you're seeing. Now, Derek, I've got to ask you. Um, you know, you're not as emphatic a golf fan as Brian and I are. More casual golf obsessed. fan, we'll say, but I do I do like the game. So do you yeah. like watching the pros suffer, or do you, would you rather birdie fest like Palm Springs where, you know, they're shooting 9, 10 under a round? I would have to say uh, the former, just being I, I love to see them struggle, only because, well, basically I like to see the best players in the world when it's tight. So I don't care if it's higher or lower scoring. I just want to be close. But I do prefer that just because, to, like, today we've got, however many guys within what six shots and when it's just birdie fest it's how many birdies can you make and you slip in the eagle when we're more likely to see bogeys even double bogeys that's more fun to me because it just there's more intrigue it's not guys just running out of holes and not able to make any more birdies mm, that makes so sense Derek likes the carnage he loves seeing Matt Jones throw his putter in and, the middle of the pond and the things that come with it and it's a little bit of oh I, I would have hit that shot so it makes me feel better yeah. Oh, Gary Woodland just cold sculled one at 18 from the center of the fairway. Uh, I, yes. I do that like twice around, so it's good yeah. to see that. Oh, uh, he was mad, but he wasn't mad enough. He wasn't as mad as Matt Jones. Now, look, you guys haven't met Matt Jones. He's a he's a cool customer. That is one of the last guys I would expect to be throwing a club in the water, Ollie. But uh, you go ahead, sign him up because he did it. Oh, and not only did he do it, but it was within one motion. I mean, he went down, he picked up the ball, and as he's rising, he didn't, like, you know, stand up, walk, and then decide to throw it. It was completely part of the follow-through of standing up, retrieving his ball, not at full height yet, and two-handed throw. It was good stuff. Yeah. What's that uh, old the, adage, Tommy Bolt, um, fiery competitor back in Arnold Palmer's era, said, uh, never throw a club behind you. Because then you have to go get it. Always throw it in front of you. Yeah, very important. <laughs> I've had some frustrating uh, ball striking moments here. My last few rounds, I, I actually have I have thrown a club. No way. I, yep, I threw one on fifty. Well, it's not. It's not the first time. I just said it's the first time in a long time. Uh, yeah, I of all the one, golf you and I have played together, I have never seen you throw a golf game. Well, it's because years ago, I got mad and I didn't throw it, but I whacked my golf bag. This is years ago. Number five at Dogwood. I hit some shot probably up in the woods on the right. And I get mad. I go up and I two-hand my golf bag. Big, fat golf bag. It can handle it. Except that there was a little click. I wondered what that was. But the, the click was enough to then I looked. I bent my club. And it's only the fifth hole. So I've, I've now bent a club. That's bad. And, and I just put the club in the bag. And I drive on. Somewhere in the middle of putting... On the fifth, I realized what that click might have been. I sheepishly walked back over to my bag, and in the bag was the brand new cell phone that I had just gotten the day before, Ooh. which is what I had hit hard enough to bend my golf club. And obviously the phone did not survive <laughs> the incident either. Yes, I'd like uh, to think that I've mellowed over time, but... I have to admit that when I was working at the University of Georgia golf course when I was going to school up there, I actually broke a putter over my knee on the practice putting green. Yeah, but it's what happened next, I on think. On the practice green, Ollie? Well, yeah, that's too much. To be fair, we were playing like $3 stymies, so... <laughs>
I was not winning at the time. Tell everybody what happened next, because this is why you won't break any more clubs. This was this was shaming in the best way possible. Yeah, so I walked away. I threw the club head. It was a ping. I think it was a pal two. Threw it into the woods behind the putting green. Walked into the clubhouse and. Uh, the head pro at the time, Dave Cousart, went and retrieved it, gave it to me, and sent me up to the shop to fix it and said, never do that again. <laughs> when, when you got your boss digging through a trash can to get a club you just broke. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the only lesson I learned from Dave Cousart, um, but it was a good lesson to learn. Oh, come on. I love Dave. I love Dave Cousart. He's a good man. <laughs> yes. So I don't know what lessons Matt Jones used. He was putting with a wedge. Most of the guys go with the bellied wedge. The greens are fast enough at Bay Hill. That's all you need. Every once in a while, you'll see a guy try to just, hit, just use the face of a three iron. But a lot of these guys don't even have three irons anymore. They all have something else. Some guys will use the fairway wood, but it's really hot. You got to be careful with that. So to each his own, something you could practice. <laughs> you need to know what plan B is. Who's your Who's your emergency quarterback? Oh, it's the wedge. Belly the wedge. That was my emergency yeah. quarterback. And that didn't the, fare well in the Stymies game. <laughs> so the problem with the bellied wedge is anything over like 20 feet, boy, you can you can miss the ball. You know, you can miss it and hit it. You can hit it five feet and you can hit it sideways. Yeah, for the long so, ones, pull out the hybrid. Yeah. yeah Hybrid's you a need, good club for that. Yeah, hybrid, very little effort. You're going to pretty much hit it well every time. But short range, 5 feet and in, 10 feet and in, definitely belly the wedge. Those are our recommendations. Uh, remember what you remembered this earlier this morning. Rory threw his club in the water at Doral all those years ago. Uh, the form on that, he cleared the hips so well. Club head lagged behind. That was a good throw. And then, Don't then try the that owner, at home. The owner of Doral at the time presented the club back to him the next day because he had sent a diving team in. Uh, didn't he, he collected that himself, didn't he? <laughs> I have the greatest diving team of all. It's the best. Great, great diving team. I invented the scuba gear. Thanks to Brian Nelson from the GSGA, Derek Thomas, Ali Dean. Well done. Enjoy Bay Hill later today. We'll talk to you next week from the Players' Championship on the fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. 
Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com.